Hello and welcome to Speaking Out Mental Health and Football. I'm your host, Callum Archibald. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Manisha Taylor. Manisha is an academy coach at Queen's Park Rangers Football Club. She's also a qualified head teacher and an author. Manisha runs mental health and football programs for adults and has published a teaching resource to help generate discussion around mental health with young people. Here is Manisha Taylor's experience of mental health and football. Um, football sessions in partnership with Middlesex County FA and Wingate and Finchley Football Club. They give facility in kind and um, what Middlesex provides is an apprentice that helps run the session. So we were running the sessions um, for adults with mental health and disability uh, within the area. Uh, it wasn't just confined to adults who are living in Finchley or Barnet, anyone who can access uh, the activity. Um, we were running it once a week. However, we've got a real lack of funding. So from September, it's likely to go to once a month and unless we you know, we, we get another funding pot. But previously, over the last um, few years, we've had Fans for Diversity and Freedom for Minds that have helped uh, fund the programme to allow us to be able to run it once a week. And then what that's helped me to do is to be able to get in a coach um, to help mentor, like Jangi, who's a female coach, to help her um, develop her kind of coaching skills and working with adults with disability. Another part of the mental health work is um, working with young people, and that's based on a book. It's a teaching resource that I published titled Child in Mind. And it's really it's, it's working with young people to generate discussions around uh, mental health and well-being, looking at a range of topics from uh, life of a carer, uh, someone who may be a refugee, to um, looking at people who, you know, young people who might have been bullied and the psychological impacts that it can have on their feelings and emotions. Yeah, that, that's a really good outline, I think. Um, so how did you actually come to write and publish the teaching resource in the first place then? Um, it's come through my, so, I mean, I qualified as a teacher in 2001. Um, I'm primary school trained and when I then, you know, I became a young carer along with my, you know, with my family as well when I was 18. So that, that was in 1998. So when I got into teaching, what I soon realized was um, a real lack of resource, particularly around the early 2000s, on helping, what, help, helping to generate open discussion on well-being and mental health um, with young people, particularly primary age uh, children and I was really just basing that on my own experiences with my brother and what and and some of the things that I saw um, you know saw from him and his his experiences and his behaviours through his bullying. So it what I started to do through the years, I guess from that time to last year was was when I actually put pen to paper, was really um, placed a lot more emphasis, I guess, in my own teaching. Um, on basic things, listening to the young people, and and think, and, and particularly around bullying and uh, relationships between children, uh, feeling left out and isolation. And then what I started to do over the last five years, uh, well, five to seven years, when I took the career change, uh, and then with my work with the FA and um, 
show racism the red card was really look at other areas where uh, young people might be affected. Um, so looking at life of a refugee and the psychological impact that that can have, and then looking at relationships with children within the class. Um, and then when I started to play about with different ideas, I, I put pen to paper last year, and it took me a year to write, and then finally got it published in March this year, and got my cousin to illustrate it. So it's a photocopyable resource. Um, I tied in with my university where I did my teaching uh, study, which is Goldsmiths, and they currently got it in their bookstore to help with their teacher training students, which is great. Um, and then I've partnered with a charity who works with young people called Chavenis, and we've managed to get some funding to work with 10 schools in Lambeth using Child in Mind in primary and secondary schools, uh, both as teacher training, but also uh, doing some work with young people in the classrooms as well. Yeah, that that's really interesting. So it's it's kind of come from your own experiences, hasn't it? But from the sounds of it, it's kind of what you've seen and something that you felt was missing, maybe. Yeah, it's. I mean, the whole the concept um, in that teaching resource has has come from how I felt being a young carer, and that that inspired me to write the story of Isabella, who features in the book. Um, and this, you know, Isabella is is this eight year old who is a young carer and she cares for her mum who's got bipolar. But when I, you know, when I was thinking about Isabella, I was thinking, gosh, well, you know, I resonate with some of those emotions and those feelings of of what, you know, what what it was like. And and yes, I was a teenager, and this is Isabella who's eight. But statistically, um, more recently, what's come out um, from a report that I read from the BBC was that one in three primary school age children now will have diagnosable symptoms of mental health. So we go the time where, for instance, when my brother was first diagnosed in 1998 and I became, you know, a teacher in, in that early 2000 to now, I didn't know about those statistics earlier on in my teaching career. I just based it on my own personal experiences and actually um, within the teaching world, there was, you know, there was some great stuff going on in PSHE, but a real lack of resource on helping us, I guess, as teachers and educators on how we help young people generate these discussions. Um, whereas now, mental health is a lot more spoken about, particularly in schools, and there's some, you know, charities and lots of great work on that. But because of that lack of resource, that then inspired me to actually create something that I just felt teachers could use or, you know, parents could use with their with their children. Yeah. No honestly that, that is really, really interesting um to hear kind of talk about where it's come from and to associate yourself with something that you're writing about. I think I think we all kind of subconsciously do that at times. But to do that at that level and and to be producing something there and be conscious of that is just it's really fascinating um so obviously you you've kind of involved in mental health and football at, at different at different levels obviously with working in schools and stuff there's there's that side of it like you say one in three i mean i i didn't actually know that statistic that's that's quite staggering really yeah and one of the other i mean it, one of the other things as well is uh, when we then look at that young people um, and the age is, is alarming because we are now looking at the younger age and then those from 
black Asian minority ethnic backgrounds, in particular Indian and Bangladeshi, are the less likely to report if they do have any diagnosable symptoms. So I think that, you know, when we look at, I guess, what what's inspired me to feel that we have to do something about it, I guess me being from, you know, a, a BAME group and being Asian, I, I've understood the stigma over the last 20 years from when it first happened with my brother. And, you know, his, his diagnosis was, was schizophrenia. And it was such an extreme uh, case where he was then sectioned that it, it, it was unheard of. You know, you wouldn't talk about schizophrenia, hallucinating, you know, hearing voices. You know, he, he ran away and he was kidnapped. And um, where we're then, you know, trying to justify it with the fact that actually he was really badly bullied. Um, you know, his bullies, kid one, you know, one period, his bullies had kidnapped him. And there, there was a lot of trauma that he had experienced. And unfortunately for him, he was not able to verbally express it. And where we are then seeking help, and we, I mean, me, you know, my mum, my, my dad, bearing in mind, my younger sister was only five years old at the time. Um, you're, who do you go to? And particularly at that time, we didn't know that there was help available. And I guess that one of the things was, is even if there was help, would we have, would my mum have actually picked up the phone to, to, to Mencap or whoever it might be to say, actually, we do need some help. And then, you know, there are issues going on uh, that, that we're unable to cope with because of that stigma around culture and faith and religion. Whereas now, um, when I, you know, when we look at that, that and we look at the fact that those from Indian Bangladeshi backgrounds are less, you know, the least likely to report, it doesn't surprise me because that's been an issue now for what well, my experience of it being 20 years. But that's got to be that that must have been going on for decades and decades. Yeah. That you've got people from those backgrounds who um, won't seek help because of the taboo and because of the stigma, which is why it's even more important. I think, to have these discussions. And I thought about the ethnicity and the diversity angle in the book, and I've got Raj. Raj is a young boy who's bullied at his uh, grassroots football club. And, you know, then you've also got Samita. Samita takes care of her mum, who's a wheelchair user. And I, and I think that it's important because, actually, you might have a Raj in your school. Raj might be somebody's brother or cousin, etc. So, you know... There were all sorts of things going on in my head, but um, I really think that it's important to think about how we can create these open discussions, particularly around the stats and, and the fact that there are certain groups of people um, who, who just still will not talk about it. Okay. Having said that, there are lots of charities. Like I said, you know, you've got um, like the, the Royal Foundation who are doing some great work where we're trying to create, you know, discussions around mental health. Yeah. So how do you kind of address that? Because like you say, it's it's a cultural issue. It's not an issue that's kind of just cropped up. It's an issue that's clearly quite deeply embedded that you don't discuss this kind of things. How, how do you go about kind of beginning breaking down those barriers? One of the, um, one of the things that I, I, I've started to do, and, I'll, and this is, you know, on a personal level, um, I want to do more of is going into these community groups and actually uh, talk, sharing personal experiences. And, and I think that um, 
so one in particular was, uh, I'll give you know an example, is Stanmore Jeffries, who are a grassroots community um, organization. And, uh, you know, they are predominantly made up just because of the area that they're in, in terms of um, that, that part of, you know, northwest London, uh, of eight being Asian. So they've got over 200 young people who are who are Asian and their families. So we, you know, I spoke to Shafiq and we said, let's just trial a seminar. They could provide the facility. And I said, I could just do a 30 minute to an hour, let's say 30 minute to an hour talk. I could share some of the stories from Child in Mind, but actually I could actually share some personal stories from what it was like for me, what it was like for my mum, my mum, and growing up with, you know, my brother's behaviours, um, and then take it from there. And it was literally just that. It let's just try it. We didn't think anyone would turn up. Um, you know, he put it on flyers and things like that. And we did it. What we did was plan it so that it was within the time where their parents had to come and drop off their children to play for training. Okay. So it was kind of looking at okay, well. We don't want it to be an extra where they have to stay at the end. So we planned it so that if they, you know, if they wish to, they could come slightly earlier, drop off the kids to go and train. And by the time the seminar finishes, it might tie up with, the, you know, their training time, too. And we had over 40 parents of Asian heritage there. And it was a mix of male and female. And we were really surprised. And by the end of it, so in terms of the feedback, what they, what one of the commonality was as simple as they felt they they do not feel that they spend enough time asking their children when they come home from school how was their day, or did they do uh, if they you know if if the child said oh you know had a little bit of a bother um, or you know with my friends rather than just saying, oh, it's all right, don't worry, it'll be okay. What they've said is, is that's the easiest thing to do, and that's what they tend to do, rather than actually thinking, well, there might be more to that. How, how do we know that that hasn't been a regular occurrence? And uh, they want, you know, they want a few more, which is great. But it, it was literally just trying, and it was actually actively going into that community group, whether you had one attend, whether you had 40 attend, it just... It was a way of helping to start discussion, but targeting those particular groups. Yeah, that that's really, really positive. And I, I, I guess that is the way that you kind of broach these issues, isn't it? You kind of step into th- their comfort zone and say, look, this is me opening up. I'm not asking you to do anything. This yeah. is just me sharing kind of what what I've experienced is some issues and I, I guess that's the way that people kind of resonate with with the honesty of that um definitely I think that the personal um but when you talk about yourself and your journey and be honest about it and I think that what helped was uh that you know that that, that honesty helped and they were able to then resonate with some, not all of it, but certainly some parts of it. And then when we look at the the cultural, I guess the the, the cultural barriers um, that that do exist, it helped 
say soften, but alleviate some of those in the respect of I'm also coming from an Asian, you know, a background of Asian heritage. Um, I understand what it was like 20 years ago. I, I get what it was like for my mum to be able to open up with the community and, and also, you know, what, what the community had to say about, you know, my, my brother and, you know, others like my brother. So I think that, that, that really helped. And I just think that if we can keep tapping into certain communities, um, then perhaps that might help them um, overcome some of these barriers in talking and then seeking help. Yeah, so you don't have to answer it. It's completely up to you. But just picking up on something you said there, what was the kind of community's reaction at the time to when your mum kind of opened up about your brother? Um, my mum's never actually really opened up. It she's always she's always been fearful and um it's only over the last i guess seven years where i took my career change and started to uh be a little bit more active and i and i just and i felt i had to be more active i felt that there was certainly a calling for me to do something with with this experience that where it can then not only help my family but it can help other families it's to become my mum's voice because she still um, would be fearful, but she, very emotional, very emotional about opening up. And the only, you know, reason I guess um, she had no choice was because he was sectioned. So we were we were left without a choice because of the uh, extent to his uh, behaviours and, and the extent of. Um, his, his diagnosis in the end was such that we we could not take care of him at home. So she, it was without a choice. It wasn't something that she wanted to do or certainly, you know, we wanted to have him at home. But for that, certainly for those number of years, um, it was it was out of our hands. So she's never actively opened up. But the community view was very negative. It... Um, there, there were comments such as, um, you know, what's, oh, look at the state of their family, look at the state of the son, the daughter's now never going to get married, who's going to want to marry into a family? And everything really just came down to that. You know, this kind of whole, this traditional stereotype of um, being Asian, getting married at a certain age, you know, the, the, the man being, the, the boy being um, the, the senior in the home, compared to, you know, to the daughter, you know, oh, oh he, you know, he, he, although we're twins, he was two minutes older, but everybody else, he would still be the senior member. And that's what the family would say. And then because my sister was um, five, people would be saying, you know, making comments on what, what the implications would be on her when she's growing up, that, you know, she's not going to be taken care of properly. Um, that you know, I, I would be not amounting to very much because of what the situation is like, um, and it must be because of some wrongdoing in the past. And it goes, um, this whole thing around spirituality comes in, um, and it was all very negative. And that's from you know, for, for my mum, um, like I said, really upsetting. She, she was angry, but more upset than angry. 
And it was only recent, say over the last, probably over the last seven, again, yeah, more more from when I took the career change seven years ago to when I actively started to, um, I guess, uh, not camp- I don't know, campaign is the right word to use, but um, campaign around and be an advocate for, um, you know, open discussions around mental health. Did did people's attitudes within the community, um, I don't know, appear to, to start changing? And actually, more recently, people, and it's those people who would laugh at my brother if we would go to events, have been saying to my mum, look at the great work that your daughter's doing. And I said to my mum that what we shouldn't forget is those times where actually it was really hurtful uh, and those comments were really you know hard hard to take and it's not about doing great work actually this is this is more about can we create some change in their minds and attitude and if we can do that then that's great um, and I wonder how many of them have changed and how many of their attitudes have evolved over that time like over the last 20 years yeah I mean that was kind of where I was going to go with that have kind of asking that question have you seen a change in kind of attitudes of even though like you say those same people if they're coming up and saying that is it is it genuine even though they're saying you you're doing this good work if the same situation was to come up again do you think that their reactions would be different Uh, if I'm honest I'm not totally convinced yet that the wider and I'm talking about now so the the immediate um, immediate community and the people, you know, immediate to us, most definitely attitudes have changed, definitely around mental health and disability. I'm um, wanting to, you know, be a lot more open um, to generating discussion around it. If I think about our wider community, I'm not convinced yet. I think there's still a lot of work to do in... Um, helping them uh, face whatever fears that they have towards this, you know, and, and towards disability and mental health within the Asian community. I still think there's a lot of work to do in um, really tapping into their, their minds and attitudes to create any form of change. I'm not convinced yet with that wider community. I, I still think that there's a lot of work to do. And I say that because... Um, you, you can get, you know, we can get praised for, for doing work and, you know, and for certain achievements, whether it's, I don't know, the MBE and things like that. But, but that, that in some respect is great, but it can also be seen as, you know, materialistic. Whereas wouldn't it be great if somebody was to approach my mum and say, can she come and do a talk in our community? So until I hear that, I'm not convinced yet until I hear that. So even though you've got an MBE, that would be the moment that kind of, for you, you realised that it made a difference. Yeah, because I think, like I said, you know, I'm not knocking any achievements, and I think that I've, you know, and I'm really grateful. But you can go and stand and present a medal to the community, and again, it goes back to this whole for me around um, what you know, what people perceive. So doing, 
somebody's doing, she, she's doing great work, but she's achieved, you know, an honor. That's great. But has it actually really changed the way you see people with mental health? Has it really done that? If the answer is half and half, I'm not happy with that. If, if you know, if anything, for me it's to be able to plant a seed, because you're not going to be able to change the attitudes of everyone. And I've, as much as I don't want to accept that, I've had to accept that. So if they, if you know, from that wider community, just like with Stanmore Jeffries, where they now there's a will from that from that community on can she come back to do another talk? That's great because then we know we've planted a seed. And even if, you know, we do another talk and then it might be in the future that they've taken it upon themselves to actually hold forums um, for those parents uh, to have these discussions. So until I feel that, you know, until we can get to that where actually you're being called to, act, to, to come and openly talk and speak, I, I, I just don't believe that being able, you know, standing up there, like I said, and presenting a medal and talking about all your achievements, how much impact does that really have? Yes, it can inspire some young people or other people to want to achieve, but re will it really change attitudes around mental health? I, I don't think it will. That concludes part one of Manisha Taylor's interview. Part two will be available on Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening and please subscribe and review the podcast wherever you get it from. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and all good pod apps. I'm Callum Archibald and this is Speaking Out, Mental Health and Football. Get in the